You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Podcast. I am your host, Dan Cotton, and today we are sitting down again with what will probably become one of our favorite and maybe more frequent guests, uh, Matthew Becker of gymlawyers.com. If you listened to our previous episode, we had a a kind of just long and general episode talking about... uh, legal needs and contracts and waivers and just some common pitfalls that gyms fall into. And then uh, Matthew was kind enough to sponsor our conference and he came to our conference in Las Vegas where he got to get his first real down and dirty glimpse into the cheerleading industry. He got to attend some classes. He got to meet some gym owners and he heard some of the things that go on in the cheerleading industry. And, uh, I vividly remember him coming up to me and going, Hey, um, we should probably educate some people on a couple of these things, uh, which of course I'm always down for. That's what we do. And so we were, it was actually after I was giving a class on, uh, how to increase your arm, which I've talked about on the podcast. So that's active revenue per member per month. And, we were talking about private lessons and I was explaining how the industry standard has been, you know, uh, there are there are kind of three ways that you see it commonly done. One is uh, your coach works for you, and as a perk of working for you, they get to do private lessons in the gym, but everyone just books directly through them. They pay them directly. They pay cash or check or Venmo them or whatever, but they just run that, and you have nothing to do with it, and they get to keep 100% of their privates. Uh, option two is... They do that, but then they pay a very small fee, like $10 a lesson to the gym or $5 a lesson to the gym, um, which has its own unique challenges of most of the time they don't ever actually pay that fee anyways. Um, And then uh, the next most common is there's some sort of a a split between the gym and the coach um, where maybe they pay the gym and then the gym pays the coach. Um, and they, they have some sort of a contract worked out on how much they make for their private lessons. So those would be probably the three most common, uh, you see in the cheer industry, but the two most common being the first two I referenced and the last one where it's run through the gym being the less frequent, uh, thing that we see in the industry. So that was when Matt came up to me with big eyes and said, Hey, I, I have some thoughts. So, <laughs> Matthew, uh, please tell me what were your initial, what initially stood out to you that you went, whoa, we need to pump the brakes here. Yeah, 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 yeah. First off, thanks, Dan. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on. Um, always a pleasure. That. Pardon? What's that? I should have allowed you to introduce yourself. I just went oh. on this rant. <laughs> That's perfectly okay. Um, it's always a great pleasure to come on here and talk with you. I had a wonderful time at at, at the conference. Um, I'm going to highly recommend it for for anybody listening. You know, I, I assume that the majority of your people are are in the cheer and gymnastics industry. And you know, one one of my biggest takeaways, besides what you know, some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, but one of my biggest takeaways at the end of the weekend was the number of people who were attending who aren't part of the next generation service. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, 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 when, when you guys split there at the end, my assumption was that the main conference room where you guys were talking to all of your current clients was going to be like packed and there were going to be like 10 people in the other room. And it wasn't that, um, which fascinated me that this many people look to you guys as an authority and are willing to show up and pay money to attend this conference to get all this information, even though they're not part of your service. Um, so anyway, I, I took a lot from the weekend. Um, I'm always more than happy to hop on here and, and talk with you guys and, and, and try to share some of this knowledge because the more I'm talking with gym owners generally, the more I'm talking with gym owners in the cheer industry and the gymnastics industry as you and I were briefly talking before we started to hit record here, 
some of the situations are just, you know, we got to get in there and, and try to fix some of this because the gym owners are incredibly exposed to an incredible amount of liability that could be business ending, you know, very quickly. Um, so, you know, the, the more we're talking to, to gym owners and, and whether they're just in, in any old industry like functional fitness, CrossFit, you know, where more of my background is versus the cheer and gymnastics industry, um, the more we're, we're discovering that a lot of gyms have a lot of legal exposure and we really need to get in there and start consulting with these gyms um, because they're one bad step away from something that could be completely business ending, uh, if not even worse. Um, so again, happy to come on and talk about this stuff. Now, to to your question, um, you were asking about what stood out to me during that lecture. Um, and I know during the lecture, you sort of talked about it from the business perspective of why it's not a good idea for the coach to be taking money directly from the client and then either keeping it all or supposed to be paying it back to the gym. Um, I listened to that and then, you know, I always talk about it like my spidey sense. You know, you got Spider-Man and uh, hopefully the kids and everybody still knows who Spider-Man is. But, you know, he, he, danger comes around and he gets these the spidey sense. And I always call it like my spidey sense for liability. You know, I, I hear these scenarios. And I'm like, oh, I'm like tingling with, with the liability that's, that's out here. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, because if a gym is allowing the coach to accept money directly from the private training client, that from a legal perspective and probably from a tax perspective now makes that coach sort of blend the lines between independent contractor versus employee. And when they start to move more into an independent contractor role, there's a lot of legal steps we have to take now to protect the gym because this this becomes can become at least a massive area of legal exposure for negligence on the part of the gym. Mm -hmm. Well, so can you expand on that a little? Well, actually, one second. I was going to pause you, but you were on a really great thought, so I was <laughs> going to let you go. But you had mentioned the more you talk to owners, you know, they're one, some people are one bad situation away from losing their gym or worse. And we touched on this just briefly in our first episode, but there are, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, obviously I have a little bit of legal background with being in law enforcement for 15 years, but there are things that you can do as a business owner that can lead to criminal liability, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a lot of that is going to be situational, right. um, you know, but one, one of the areas that we're seeing that is really big in the cheer and gymnastics industry is a lot of disclosures of things that are going to, to happen. Um, to, to, to putting the parents and their kids and, and everybody who is coming in and paying you money, giving them um, knowledge and setting the expectations of what's going to happen in your facility. Um, physical contact is, is something that we're seeing is, is, is a primary disclosure that needs to be out there that we like to put in the liability waivers mm -hmm. um, that is not there currently and could lead to criminal issues. Hmm. Uh, another more common way that we see this stuff pop up is with membership contracts. So almost every state, not all of them, but almost every state has laws that designate what has to be in your membership contract. First, that you have to have one in writing and then two, what has to be in there. And if you don't have that stuff in there and you get sued over your membership contract, you get sued over your all-star contract, okay, which, which tends to be the most likely legal issues we're going to see out of a contract comes from the, the competitive all-star areas. Um, anyway, if you don't have that stuff in your contract, the state could come after you for criminal charges. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for instance, if you were to if you were to charge someone a, a quitter's fee, but you aren't set up legally, like you don't 
at which we don't recommend quitters fees. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're not a big fan of them. But if you were to say, oh, you quit my gym, I'm charging you $1,000 because mm-hmm. that's what everyone on Facebook said I should do to, to really stick it to you. Uh, you could potentially not only like they could charge back, they could do all sorts of things from the credit side. You could face civil liability and mm-hmm. someone could potentially articulate that that is fraudulent at a criminal level or even theft because it was not an agreed upon charge. You can't, none of us would be happy if a business just ran our card for an extra thousand dollars because we left them a bad review or we did something they didn't like. Um, and that could theoretically expose a business to significant liability at all three levels just by charging a fee that wasn't clearly communicated to the person that they did not agree to allow happen at some point. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. Um, And I'll take that one step further. Even those gyms who are trying to sit back now and say, well, I do have that disclosed in my contract, so I'm protected. You know, I'm, I'm thumbing through these competition contracts that are pages long, you know, 10, 15 pages. And, and in this very, very small little page or two section stuffed in the middle of this contract are the payment terms, you know, and, and this, and this kind of uh, dovetails with uh, liability waivers that when you, when, when you're putting these really sort of, um, big things into a contract that could come back to to bite the consumer in the butt in the long run you really need to make those things what are called clear and conspicuous if you're going to have it in there like it needs to be bolded it needs to be underlined it needs to be in all caps like you need to bring this thing out to to make sure that the person signing it isn't just breezing through it and then coming back around and saying how was I supposed to see one line in a 15 page contract? And that's why contracts will oftentimes have sections that you initial showing yep. that you've read this particular part because it's so critical. I'm uh, yes, I could sign the whole thing, but Hey, this one section I'm initialing this there, I could be charged X, Y, and Z extra. Okay. Initial because that would show from a legal perspective that that person at least took the time to have that pointed out to them that this was important. It was conspicuous. Um, and clear to them at, yep. as they were going through this contract. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. All right. So steering the conversation back to those private lessons as we, we've gotten a little off track on talking contracts. Um, you were discussing some of the risks to there's risk to the gym and there's risk to the employee. Uh, and there's all sorts of complicated situations where someone is an employee and also kind of blending that line between being a contractor. And there are some, some kind of high level legal considerations in terms of that contractor stuff. And there may be gyms listening that that all their employees are contractors or they pay them as contractors, even though they may not meet those requirements. So can you give us maybe a, a 30,000 foot view on the difference between the employee and the contractor? And then we can start to break that down into the private lesson and how that's being blended there. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, that before we get into this, let's understand that like almost every situation that I've talked to gym owners about this, like looks slightly different. Um, and that's why it's difficult to really sort of like blend it all down into, you know, let's talk about the three potential situations that we're going to talk here on the podcast. But I want to try to educate enough about the different categories of your staff and cover enough of the the, of the higher level um, ways that we're paying people so that you can see how it fits with your model. Um, okay, so anytime we have staff that we're paying, okay, we're not talking staff volunteers, throw those guys off to the side. We're talking staff that we're paying, okay, they're gonna fall into one of two tax designated categories. They're either gonna be an employee or they're gonna be an independent contractor, okay? The biggest difference when we're talking taxes, right? This is this all goes to the cost of the gym, uh, is that if you have employees, you have to do what's called a federal match. So when you pay them, you have to take their taxes out, and then you pay additional money as a federal tax um, toward you know the the Medicare and Social Security and things like that. Okay. Now, when they're an independent contractor you as the business owner don't take out any taxes you pay the individual 
um, whatever gross amount that they earned, and it is then their responsibility to go back and set the, that tax money off to the side to then pay their own taxes toward the end of the year. Okay. From a gym owner's perspective, this can save you, let's say, about 13, 14, 15% in costs if you're paying your staff as independent contractors versus employees. But it's not just so simple as saying they're going to be independent contractors or they're going to be employees. Okay. So the concern here is primarily from the tax perspective of if you get audited by the IRS or your workers' comp division or your unemployment division or somebody like that, who you should be paying into these benefits. Mm-hmm. And the question is going to come down to the amount of control that you exhibit over your staff member. It's not a bright line rule, right? There's a control question. And they're going to go through a whole list of questions. And at the end of those questions, you're either going to lean more toward control or you're going to lean more toward less control. The more control you exhibit, the more they're going to be an employee. The less control you exhibit, the more they can look like an independent contractor. All right. So with that understanding, you know, now we have to look at, well, how does this work legally? Well, if we have somebody as an employee, then we're set up legally to protect ourselves on behalf of our staff members. Right? We do this through, say, insurance. Uh, so I have an insurance policy at my gym, and my insurance policy covers me and all of my staff. Well, that includes my employees. So if my employee is out there and they're doing their job and they tell somebody to go flipping down the mat and that person trips and breaks their ankle and I get sued for it, I can claim that on my insurance because my employee is acting on my behalf. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of like the biggest one there is, you know, my waivers are protecting that employee. My waivers are protecting me on behalf of my employee. You know, all of that stuff with it is all being protected. Um, But again, that's the most cost to the gym owner. So the next, the opposite category is the independent contractor, right? And as you sort of alluded to um, at the beginning, we almost walk into this sort of hybrid relationship um, with an independent contractor when we're talking about the way that the cheer industry and the gymnastics industry is paying, Um, So, uh, when we're talking about an independent contractor, we're really talking about somebody who is self-employed. All right. Now, let's look at this from the true nature of an independent contractor. So, the true nature of an independent contractor is that I bring you into my gym to offer a service. You're a Mm -hmm. self-employed individual. You are offering some sort of unique service. Let's say, Dan... I want you to come to my CrossFit gym and teach my people how to do backflips on a Saturday afternoon. You are a specialist. You have your own LLC. You have your own insurance. You have your own waivers, whatever it is. I'm paying you a flat fee of, let's say, $500 to come in for an afternoon and teach my clients how to do a backflip. Mm-hmm. Right. That is like the textbook definition of an independent contractor. I'm not paying your taxes. You don't work for me. We have a very limited period of time in which you're going to be in my facility. Right? You're required to pay that taxes yourself. Right. And we are in the in the cheer industry, especially. We're very familiar with relationships like this because uh-huh. a lot of the cheer industry hires uh, choreographers to come into their gym uh-huh. and provide routines and they come in for a brief period of time and they provide that exact service of they give a routine. Hopefully they actually show up and do what they say they're going to do. There are some (laughs) challenges with that, but that actually is, is very indicative of the independent contractor, right? Because they do set their own schedule. So an independent contractor can not deliver on services too. It's not a good thing to do. Whereas an employee, you would fire them with an independent contractor then you have to go through the, well, did you prepay or are you going to pay for this service that wasn't rendered? And so we're used to that idea. We should all understand it in the cheer industry. We also hire people to come in and do tumbling clinics and stunt clinics Mm -hmm. because they're a specialist. And so, um, they, we are familiar with that, uh, or we should be. 
So I think if, for anyone having a hard time connecting the dots there, that would be the best example, especially in the cheer industry and, and gymnastics, they hire choreographers as well mm-hmm. of, of that kind of independent contractor setting. Yeah, great. And another little sort of getting underneath and plugging something there is you should also have those as written contracts. You should be papering those relationships so that when they don't show up to deliver their service, uh, you have a legal right to go after them, especially if you've prepaid them. We'll talk about that in another episode. All right. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) another way that we see this in a true nature of an independent contractor is when we have a third-party service who is their own business, let's say for Ninja, right? A lot of the gymnastics gyms offer Ninja. You may not have somebody on staff who um, does Ninja, and you may find somebody who has their own Ninja training company, and they come to you or you go to them and they say, hey, from the hours of seven to eight o'clock on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday night, you don't use anything in your gym, but your gym is a fantastic space for me to come in and run my ninja program. Mm -hmm. I'll recruit the clients, I'll bring in my own clients, I'll let myself in and out, I'll pay you $300 a month to let me use your facility to run my business. Yep. Okay, great way for passive income for the gym owner. Okay, and again, another true example of an independent contractor. This person, I mean, you're not even paying this person. This person is now paying you, right? Because they're their own business that's coming in. But we can see how some of this can start to blur lines as to the way that we're treating our personal trainers at the gym. So if we look at those two examples of the true independent contractors, whether you're paying somebody to come in and run a specialty course or we have another business that's coming in and paying you to use your facility. In both of these instances, we're going to protect ourselves legally. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to have written contracts with, hopefully, their LLCs. Because that helps us to show that they're truly independent when we're paying a completely different business. We're taking money from a completely different business to do this. So that's sort of step number one as an LLC. Step number two is that that company or that person who's coming in now needs to have their own insurance policy because they're running, they're running the service. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to be liable as the gym owner for the error that they make. Okay. Right. Um, and number three, they need to have their own liability waivers because again, This is not a service that I'm offering. My insurance is likely not going to cover this. And so it's not going to go under my liability waiver. I need it to go under their liability waiver. They need to provide me a copy of that liability waiver and they need to add me as additional insured on their insurance policy. Okay. So we have these separate businesses coming into our facility and these are true independent contractors and we see legally how we set this up. The fourth thing that we need from this company is an indemnification and hold harmless agreement. Okay. And those are some, you know, big legal terms, but all that means is let's go back to the example, Dan, of you coming into my gym and teaching my members how to do backflips on a Saturday afternoon. All right. You come in, you do this. One of my members does a backflip at your direction. He lands on his ankle wrong, breaks his ankle. Okay. He gets mad and he's going to sue. Well, he's going to sue you because you're the one who told him to do a backflip and he's going to sue me because I'm the gym that he was at that offered the service in which he paid the back. He did the backflip. Okay. Yep. Well, I don't want to defend a lawsuit against this. I didn't do anything wrong. You did something potentially. You did something wrong. I don't want to pay for that. Okay. So, in order to try to eliminate as much as possible my legal exposure and my having to pay an attorney to defend against all of this, I'm going to enter in a written agreement with you that says you are going to agree to indemnify me, which means you're going to pay all of my legal fees and everything else, and you're going to hold me harmless, which means if I am found liable for some reason, you now have to make the claim on your insurance, you now have to pay for that, you now have to step in 
um, and the liability and take that off of my shoulders. Okay. Um, and yeah. these are things that we should be doing in these relationships regardless. But um, you know, that's, that's sort of that true independent contractor nature. Yeah. So, and what's interesting is, so we're going to talk about the, the problems with the way that the, we currently do things. So let's mm -hmm. go down the path of what are the problems with having a employee who is your employee, who then mm -hmm. also does private lessons through the facility and, or not through the, in the facility, but they just keep a hundred percent. They just, you know, people pay them in cash, those kind of things. It is interesting though, if, if you're really, if you're thinking 20 steps ahead, what Matthew's just given you is kind of the answer for if you want to keep this in place, what mm -hmm. your employees would have to do for you to be protected. So like they would have to be an LLC, they would have to have their own insurance, they would have to have an indemnification, they would, and they would have to be essentially a completely, they would be running their own business and paying you for that service would be a route to go down. Uh, if you really are dead set on my coaches need to be able to make a hundred percent of their privates, which is silly talk, uh, no. in my opinion. <laughs> um, but that is, I mean, that is kind of the, if you were really, you know, dead set on this route, you would need to, they would need to establish themselves as that kind of an entity with that many protections for you, uh, and themselves in order to do this correctly. So, Let's dive down the path of some of the problems, though. Like, what are some of the, mm -hmm, the risks mm -hmm. and issues here? Yeah. Okay. So first and foremost, and again, sort of a, a broad level of, of tax issues here, is that uh, it is very difficult, if not impossible. Again, I'm not a tax, uh, not an accountant, not a tax attorney, but I will say it's very difficult, if not impossible, to pay an individual from the same entity both as an employee and to consider them an independent contractor. Okay, so you you run into an issue right there if you're taking money from them as an independent contractor. Okay, all right, now, go ahead. Question Dan. there, um, mm -hmm. could someone, so let's say someone does private lessons in your facility. Let's say you have an employee who works, they coach for you about 25 hours a week, and then they go, well, I'm also going to set my schedule and I'm going to do private lessons during these hours and I'm going to get mm -hmm. paid directly. Would you potentially have some exposure if they get a little frustrated and go, you know what? I'm working overtime because I'm working with your clients. Like I, your clients are coming in and training with me. I'm training them. Yeah, they're paying me directly, but they're your people. So I'm really am working for you. And, you know, you ask me to do this private lesson. And the next thing you know, they say, you owe me. 120 hours of back wages in overtime because I worked more than 40 hours in a week. Right. Um, and I would say to that gym owner, show me your employment contract that you have with this individual and let me see how it reads. Because if your employment contract simply says that you're going to pay them hourly for the time in which they're at your facility, yeah, you got a problem. Okay. Um, what we do with gym owners is, is we take those and we create those employment contracts. And in our employment contracts, we have a breakdown of how each coach is going to be paid. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if, if, if this is the instance, and let's say, let's say the group code that you, you bring this employee in and they're going to teach a group tumbling from four to five, then they have an hour off that they can do private training. And then they're going to coach again, your group tumbling from six to seven. And so what you would say in your, your employee contract is that this employee will be paid whatever it is, $15 an hour for group classes. And this employee will be paid whatever it is, uh, $20 an hour for private training. Got it. Because now you've, distinct, you've distinctly segregated those two services to say four to five, your group, Five to six, you're only private. Six to seven, you're back to group. And that is a problem that you raised. That, that is one that we've encountered. So going back to the example of we've got an employee who uh, they're an employee, they teach group classes or they're a team coach. They do something in our facility and then mm -hmm. they also 
moonlight in our gym. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They get paid directly. Not a single cent of their, their lessons comes into the gym. It's just transactional between client and coach. And the gym sees no revenue from that. Yeah. What are, cause some people would argue, well, they're not even an independent contractor. Like I'm not paying them like I would a choreographer. They're just running their own business. They're just running their own thing. It's their own side hustle. Now mm -hmm. that's just mental framing, right? We all know there's legal or you and I know there's some legal sides of that. It doesn't matter what you think they are. It matters what legally they are. Yeah, um, exactly. But so what are those, what are those risks? Well, first off, what are the risks to the employee by, by running things that way? Cause I think as a, as a business owner, I have a responsibility to care for my employees and, and prevent them from making bad decisions, just like a parent, right? It's my job right. to not set you up for a, a potential risk. So we were going down the tax route a mm -hmm, little bit. Mm -hmm. So what are those risks directly to the employee? Yeah. So let's just look at this generally this way. When somebody pays you money to do something, you now have liability to make sure that that service is done and done correctly. You have the liability. So you, Dan, come into my gym. You're my employee, but you moonlight in this personal training aspect, and you're taking money directly from the client, 100% directly from the client. You are now liable to deliver that service and deliver that service safely. Okay. So if something happens, if you don't show up, uh, if you don't, if you haven't defined your clear services that you're going to be providing and they don't think you've provided the service that they were paying you for, if the person gets injured while you are training them, you as the employee who is moonlighting is now liable for that injury. You cannot fall back to me as the gym owner, the employer and say, well, wait a second. I'm no longer liable. He, you know, that, that gym owner covers all of my liability under their insurance and everything else. So, you know, go, go after them, right? You as the employee are now have now walked yourself into a mass amount of legal exposure. Yeah. But I mean, they've signed the gym waiver. So like it should be fun. That gym right? waiver only applies to me as the gym owner and my LLC and my DBA. You're not acting under my LLC or my DBA, my doing business as my assumed name. You're acting as your own sole individual. You're just using my facility. Yep, okay. Yep. So this isn't a contract between the client and my gym. This is a contract between the client and you, and now you're liable for it. So what I hear you saying too, is that it, if the gym has insurance, the gym pays a good amount of money for insurance. Mm -hmm. That insurance company is going to look at that situation and go, not us. Nope. Nope. That person wasn't working for you at the time that they were doing that. Now, would the gym potentially still be, have some potential liability without an indemnification and hold harmless? Uh, the gym is potentially going to have liability, period. Okay. Whether or not the, the indemnification and hold harmless only protects the gyms financially, okay, from this stuff. Um, now, it, you know, there, it, so the, the way that this would work is, is the gym would be pulled in in what's called premise liability, okay? So let's, um, how could we do this? Okay, let's, let's assume for a second that, that you're, you're running gymnastics and you are the private trainer operating in my gym and you're teaching somebody on a balance beam. Okay. And you go through and you tell the person to get up on the balance beam and you see that the balance beam is a, a little bit shaky. Okay. And then there's some questions about the, uh, the structural fortitude of that balance beam, but you say, you know, oh, well, I'm being paid $50 to do this. You know, it's not my fault. Get on the balance beam and do your routine. And the, the, the gymnast gets on the balance beam and sure enough, the balance beam falls apart and they fall off and they get injured. Okay. You're, you're pulled in because you are the person providing the training and you're going to try to pass liability off on me as the gym owner because the balance beam, there was a problem with it that somebody should have known about that we should have been adjusting it, tightening it, addressing it, whatever, in order to protect the individual that was on the balance beam. So yes, you're going to get pulled in as the trainer and I could get pulled in um, if they could show that I knew or should have known that there was an issue with the balance beam. And I think there's something important to just touch on because 
uh, we make some general assumptions, both of us having some, you having much more legal experience than me, um, but both having some experience in that. Anyone can get sued for anything. Like yeah. you can get named in right. a lawsuit. It doesn't right. mean you are actually liable um, per se. That hasn't been adjudicated and, and ruled on. But a, an, a standard practice, if you were an attorney drafting a suit in a situation like this, someone gets injured in a private lesson, you're going to list every potential entity on that tort claim. You're going to list the coach. You're going to list the gym. You're going to list anyone that you can draw a straight line to. You'll probably name the gym owners mm -hmm. as individual entities as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's going to be five, six names on this individual suit because the, it's kind of you from an legal perspective not this is not legal terminology you throw everything at the wall and you see what you can get who it sticks to essentially right it's called the shotgun approach yeah yep. so um i just wanted to touch on that because i think sometimes people think well i've got a waiver i've got this i'm protected no that just means you should be protected if and when it goes through a legal process that doesn't mean right. you can't be sued and now there's a cost to go through that legal process to protect yourself. Yes. And that's where indemnification comes in. Um, so so we, we, we know there's that, that liability risk for the employee if someone gets injured. Um, mm -hmm. And is there, is there financial risk to the employee beyond a suit? Um, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, and I know you're not an accountant, but if someone is paying them directly in cash or uh, Venmo was really popular for a bit and still is, yep. Um, yep. if they're paying that employee directly, do they potentially have some some risk there if they're not running things efficiently and effectively? Well, I'll answer the question by throwing it back at you. As a gym owner, as somebody who is taking money from clients, is there a risk to you if you take that money and don't pay taxes on it? Yes, huge. Right? <laughs> it's huge, right? Um, because you are being paid for a service that you are offering. And whenever you are being paid for a service that you are offering, the IRS wants their piece of that. Okay. So if you, the personal trainer, who's taking money directly from this client is just taking that money and putting them right in their pocket and then not reporting it on your taxes at the end of the year. And for whatever reason you get audited or the IRS takes a whiff of this or whatever. Yeah. There's now a potential big tax exposure that you have um, because this is technically income that is coming into you. Mm -hmm. But I mean, but it's under the table, so they can't see it, right? It's there's that table that blocks the IRS from knowing. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, it's my yeah, favorite. except for they do under the, the table. <laughs> um, no, that's not how it works. Um, right. Yeah, there's there's a lot of risk there, and again, I think it's our responsibility to protect employees, sometimes from themselves, from bad ideas, because we have the experience and knowing. And I sit here as someone who allowed this to happen in my gym many, many years ago. I did. It was too much work. Just, just have people pay you. I don't care. And then I learned about the processes and I was like, Yee. <laughs> like yeah. none of us are covered in, from a liability perspective. None of us are like, you're not reporting this as income. And there are other from a, just the business side. If that coach doesn't deliver on those private lessons, who are they going to go to Google and write a review about? It's not the you, coach, the it's owner. your gym. And who yeah. are they going to call when they show up and the private, the, the coach hasn't showed up? They're going to call the number on the door. They're going to call the number on the website and say, we scheduled a lesson with your coach at this facility. Where are they? And then you're now stuck holding the bag. I've had employees that had people prepay for private lessons. This was back when we did it this way. One of the you know, nails in the coffin for me realizing this was stupid. I had an employee who had a bunch of people who'd prepaid and then he decided that he needed to move to another state and ghosted. And then I was stuck now going, okay, well I'll make up all these private lessons that I didn't get paid for yep. because it, it was through my gym essentially. Um, now I could have told him to pound sand. That wouldn't be the right approach mm -hmm. in my opinion from a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from a legal perspective or from just a treating people well perspective. So 
Um, yeah. Anyways, not to digress too much, but there is there's a there's risk to the employee from a tax perspective. There's risk to the employee from a liability perspective. There's risk to the the business, and it's just really really complicated. Yeah, it becomes increasingly complicated. So what what we're doing here is is we're painting this picture of okay, so you the trainer, you're now taking money directly. Okay, so. You need to be paying taxes on that. Cool. You're exposing yourself to liability. Okay. How do you, the employee, protect your personal assets against this liability the same way the gym owners need to protect their personal assets against this kind of liability? You now need to file for an LLC. So now that employee really should be filing an LLC. There's an increased cost there, whether it's Mm -hmm. just an initial filing fee. There's sometimes we have to file annual reports. Sometimes we have to file, you know, annual fees if you're in California. Okay, so there's a fee. Um, Now, as we've talked, you you, you the trainer... You're now exposed to liability. You're not covered under my waiver anymore because you're not offering services through me, the gym owner. So you need your own liability waiver. Okay, well, who's going to write that up? All right, so there's increased cost there now to the employee um, or the, the, the private trainer. And then in the event that the private trainer does get sued, that private trainer needs insurance because my insurance isn't going to cover the private trainer if the private trainer is taking money directly from the employee, even if I'm making a portion of that, okay, they're still acting outside of my LLC. They're not covered. So they now need to incur the cost, could be $800, could be $1,200, whatever it is, to get their own insurance. Yep. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, I'll, it, I'll take this and flip it now onto the gym owner's perspective. Okay, so um, let's let's say even you're paying me the nominal fee of of five dollars per client. Okay, um, so you go out and and you bring in one of my clients and they pay you you know fifty dollars in cash and you turn around and you hand me a five dollar bill. Same scenario. I technically need to be claiming that on my insurance. That's income. If I don't, and I'm caught. That's called commingling funds. And that's a great way to pierce the corporate veil of your LLC and expose all of your personal assets in the event of a lawsuit. That's an entirely different episode. Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We can talk for another hour about piercing the corporate veil. Um, But, you know, these are why you have LLCs. These are why you file your DBAs. This is why you have operating agreements. This is why you have insurance in order to protect against all this happening. Um, And if you... Don't claim your money. That's a great way to get by your LLC. All right, now off of that digression. So you're the you're the you're the you're, you're the personal trainer. You're offering services. You as the personal trainer are being paid directly, and then you're giving me five dollars, ten dollars per client. Okay, I'm now legally exposed. We have no agreement. You have no insurance. You have no waiver. Uh, you have, we have no hold harmless in place and you injure somebody, that person's going to come at me and they're going to sue me and maybe all of my stuff, you know, my insurance, my waiver, maybe I can get all of that to cover it. Unlikely, but maybe, but as we uh, sort of indicated earlier, I can't stop from somebody from suing me. I can protect myself against the liability and the result of the lawsuit, but I can't I can't protect I can't protect myself from somebody suing me. So somebody's going to sue me and now I have to incur all of what are called litigation costs in order to prove that I don't have liability in this instance. And I'm going to incur all of this cost potentially by me myself even though I have insurance for $5 because you paid me $5 for this client. So you've now convinced me that the worst possible route is the coaching paying a very nominal fee yes (laughs) well or the coach paying no fee you know i'm going to do all of this for zero money i was trying to give the gym owners some benefit of making some of their thousands of dollars of litigation yes yes Um, five (laughs) dollars so is the 
are are some of the risks still this are the risks still the same if they don't pay you at all? Like you had mentioned, the piercing of the corporate yeah. veil and the commingling of funds. Does that still potentially apply even if they're not paying you a fee? Um, you don't have to worry about the commingling of the funds because you're you're not taking in any personal money or any money at all that that sh- that needs to be deposited into the the Jim's bank account and and paid on taxes or or have tax separate. Commingling so- just sounds scary. Commingling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we could talk about commingling funds, uh, piercing the corporate veil for all through alter ego liability. So oh, wow. That, okay. That's a few out there. Um, yeah, it sounded like a, a Marvel uh, <laughs> title for a movie or something. The commingling of funds in the corporate veil. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a Marvel episode. That's better than a Doctor Strange uh, movie title. Uh, <laughs> all right, so it seems like the easiest route around this, right? The, the mm-hmm. simplest solution is that these private lessons, private instruction go through the business just like any right. other any other business uh expense business cost or um you know business agreement where someone comes in for classes now they're just contracting with the business to give a private or semi-private lesson and mm-hmm. you then pay your employee as the employee um and as you mentioned you could if you are doing your due diligence and you're doing things correctly you can have an employment contract that allows for the employee to make more money on mm-hmm. those one-on-one lessons, which I've gone into why you shouldn't really do that, why it in- potentially incentivizes the wrong thing. Um, but that's more just from, that's not really a legal thing. That's just an advice thing. And you can, right. we do, we have, Business. I mean, Shelly pays her coaches a little bit more money when they do private lessons. It's not a, it's not even 50% of what comes in, but she pays them a little bit more. Yep. But if you do it that way, you circumvent essentially all of these risks, as long as you've done things correctly in terms of your waiver of your employment agreements of your contracts with your clients. Like there's still all those risks that we talked about on the first episode. Mm hmm but you don't add a whole nother layer of complexity by allowing your employees to just moonlight and do their own thing. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect summation, Dan. (laughs) And if they moonlight and do their own thing, they essentially have to start their own company. Yeah. We've got a few, few steps we need to put in place as our ultimate goal is to protect the gym owner against liability. Now, does this change at all? Does the scenario change at all if you try to get around all the taxes by paying all of your employees as independent contractors to begin with? None of of them are are W-2 standard employees. You just pay them as independent contractors. Does that change the scenario at all? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As far as the independent contractor, in this instance, the personal trainer being paid directly, no, it doesn't. Um, but now I've got, you know, we've got a whole ton of questions we have to go down through asking about this, what, what we'll refer to generally as a staff member, um, to determine whether or not it appears as though we're exhibiting too much control over the individual in order to really categorize them as an independent contractor. Right. Um, and you know, I, I, I get that I'm, I'm giving you the, the classic legal answer of, well, it depends. It depends. <laughs> but, I mean, this, this is, and, and this is kind of how I, I tried to start this conversation is, like, there are so many nuances that, that go along with this discussion yes. that we can't possibly cover all of them. And we can't possibly cover a majority of them in this, in this podcast episode because we would be droning on about legal crap forever that people are just not going to listen to. Um, <clears throat> but... Just by turning around and designating everybody as independent contractors, um, it's going to help, okay? But you still need to be paying those people, uh, or you, you still need to be paying your independent contractors directly, not allowing the independent contractors being to be paid from um, from your clients. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll plant the seed uh, here, and, and we don't have to get down this route, but the one of the, one of the number one ways 
to crush an independent contractor and force them over into the employment categories by providing them benefits. Okay, and this is what this is the issue that we walk into in California and Washington State because both of those states require that you provide benefits like workers' comp benefits to your staff. So they're automatically um, employees. There's some question, uh, and maybe we can pull Teresa on an episode, um, CPA, and, and talk to her about this, about whether or not providing insurance benefits to an independent contractor is now considered a benefit that's going to move that independent contractor over into the employment category. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so got to be careful there. And we, typically speaking, NextGen recommends having W-2 employees. We don't recommend mm-hmm. the, the contractor for your staff. There are certain situations where having a contractor makes sense. You have a, a short duration where they're going to come in and provide a certain scope of work, and that's agreed to. Um, and those are all things that we say, look, you, you at the end of the day, you need to consult your accountant and you need to consult right. your attorney on yep. what you're going to have these people doing and if they are either an independent contractor or a W-2 employee. Um, it's not just a simple, like you said, a simple hard line of like, yep, this is these things make them an employee, these things make them a contractor. It's a little bit more nebulous and flowing. Mm-hmm. So we always recommend going to the professionals um, because we're professional business owners. We're not professional attorneys or uh, accountants, although I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express once. Um, <laughs> once. Once. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. So anyways, the, the ultimate answer, if you're listening to this is, and as you step away from the episode, if you are, if you're running private lessons in your gym, in one of the ways that we were talking about is, uh, risky is to go to paying it through the facility, having everything go through the facility, scheduling your employees as normal. Um, and there are a, a million pros to this. I've talked about it on other episodes in terms of now your employees have consistent income. They know I'm scheduled for these hours and I get, I make this much each month. They don't have to side hustle. They don't have to, you know, work themselves to the bone trying to make a little bit of extra money. And if you're a business that's not paying your employees a wage, like you're expecting them to work 30, 40 hours a week and you're not paying them a wage that they can live uh, and you're expecting them to work additional hours on their own side hustling to to get by, then that's something you should look at as a company. You know, maybe you need to modify some things to build that, um, that structure for your employees and take care of them. Mm-hmm. So go that route of bringing it through the gym, save yourself all the time and trouble. And I think if you're, my personal opinion would be if you're struggling, if you have employees that are doing <clears> it this <throat> way, you should have them listen to this episode because as, as an employee listening to this, they should have a little bit of pucker factor hearing some of the things that we're talking about going, holy crud, I could lose my car, everything. my house. I could lose everything because yeah. I have no protection. I don't have the protection of an LLC. I don't have the protection of a waiver. And it's not pejorative to say that you could lose all of your assets from a very simple situation that d- people get hurt in sports. And if there's any sort of negligence there, you're, you could lose everything. Mm -hmm. So I think having your employees listen to this, educating them on the risks that they're taking by doing that, um, is one of the easiest ways to convince them we need to do business the right way. So we're all protected. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll plug also Dan that, you know, in the end, if, if anybody listening to this is like their heads exploding, um, I get it. Okay. This, this stuff is, this is very complicated stuff to boil down into practicals without really understanding your, your own individual situation. Um, I'm happy to talk through it based on, on you, right? I'm happy to have you call me, reach out through the website. Um, I'll spend 45 minutes on the phone with you hearing about your individual situation and what you prefer. And then how do we set it up that way? Yep. Okay. And that website for those that didn't get it at the beginning is gymlawyers.com. Um, I warned Matthew after our first episode, I said, Hey, if you go down this, the real question is not, will people reach out to you? It's, can you handle 
when the floodgate opens. And I don't know. I don't know if he's completely feeling like it's a floodgate yet. But, not even close. Okay, not even good, close, Dan. Good, because <laughs> I mean, you've only you've only gotten a slight trickle of the industry at this point. Um, but it, he, this is the guy to reach out to, and and so you know, I'm not speaking from a perspective of I've never worked with Matthew on the legal side. Like he has helped me with my contracts. Um, I had areas of exposure that we were able to tighten up on. So it is absolutely worth it. Uh, and I, I cannot recommend working with gymlawyers.com enough. Like it has been, I've worked with attorneys a lot. Uh, and one, finding an attorney who speaks to you like a normal person and doesn't use constant legal jargon is refreshing. Uh, having an attorney who also owns their business, so they un- owns another business, so they understand some of the the challenges that you're going through and uh, the challenge of execution executing some of these things. Uh, it's just so beneficial. So, if you are looking for some help in these realms, Matthew's the guy. Uh, if you're in the states, if you're in Canada, sorry. Uh, I, I don't know if you can, I'll really talk to you, He'll but talk to I you. can't give you a whole lot of help. Yeah. I'll talk yeah. to you. We can talk um, general legal principles, but, uh, yeah, you've, you've got to reach out if you're listening to this episode and if you're a coach who maybe doesn't have an LLC, but you and your gym are going to go down that route where you're going to start your own company, um, then you should absolutely be reaching out to gym lawyers because they can help with all of that contractual stuff to say, this is how we, you know, set up our operating agreement with our LLC. This is how we do our like help you draft that waiver and help you build that company doing private lessons and then mm-hmm. paying your gym a, a lease to to use the facility for certain hours. Um, but that is that is a complex road to go down, and most business owners would tell you be very very careful what you wish for because owning a business is awesome but also exhausting and. Uh, you know, there, there's so many other routes to go down in terms of you do that. Well, now do you have someone who also does some private lessons with, for you now? Are they, they're an employee. So now you need workers compensation for them and so many, uh, trails to go down there. So, but if you're, if you're looking to do that, and if you're going to stand that up in your facility, then again, also reach out to, to gym lawyers, they can help with, make sure you are legally protected. Right. Yep. Thanks. Um, no one wants to get sued and lose all their stuff. Yeah. Like that's just not fun. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, we totally said this was going to be a quick episode. No. <laughs> um, we were like, maybe we'll have time to talk about something else to pre-record another episode. No, no, no. Um, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, it has been an awesome one. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, Matthew, any, any last uh, tidbits, um, things that we didn't chat about or something you just really want to impart on our listeners? No, I, I think we've said it all and I think you provided a great summation. So thank you, Dan. Winning. I'm still, I'm going to campaign for that Esquire at the back of my name. I, I really, <laughs> the honorary Esquire. Yeah. Honorary Esquire. <laughs> that almost sounds more official, right? Oh yeah. H-O-N-E-S-Q. Like that's, yeah. or I, it'd probably be ESQ honorary, right? And, and I'll tell I'll tell you to be careful what you wish for with that ESQ. <laughs> <around your> name. <laughs> You're gonna become the hit at every party. <laughs> it just looks so cool. It looks so cool, and it, it's uh, you get to tell different stories with that. Whereas I go to parties and people are like, "Hey, this is my friend Dan. He's a cop," and then immediately is like, "I got this oh, ticket yeah. once." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, See, you get it. Did already, I pull you so. over? Like, I don't know. <laughs> cool. I've gotten a ticket too. What? Well, high five. Like. <laughs> high five bro yeah yeah it's it's always awkward like that's always where people go this guy's a cop oh yeah i got this ticket one time yep all right (laughs) sorry (laughs) um you get a beat you get a sound all official uh it's either that or like oh have you ever arrested somebody (laughs) yep yep yeah that that's kind of what we do um anyways well thank you sir i always appreciate your time uh, yep. Again, get on Matthew's schedule if you need some help. Uh, and just last shameless plug for him, waivers, <laughs> operating agreements, uh, employment contracts, uh, anything contractual that you could possibly need, 
generally speaking, they can help with. So reach out. And if he can't help you, as he mentioned in the first episode, he can refer you to other resources um, that may be able to accommodate what you're needing. So uh, make sure that you reach out. Uh, You don't need a retainer, right? It's generally kind of a per per transaction fee for this contract. You're paying this amount, um, which is just awesome. And it's much more personalized than anything you can get going through a website where you just input your information and it gives you some boiler template nonsense. Like it, we are, you work through those contracts and make sure they fit for each individual company. Right. So thank you for your time. And with that, we'll catch you all on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.